Today, uh, we're continuing our series the, uh, talking about blinded minds. And the umbrella text that we're referring to in this series comes from Paul's letter to Rome. This is Rome, Romans 1, uh, starting in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And we've been looking at stories from the Old Testament where people who knew God, knew the truth, or were presented with the truth, turned a blind eye to God and to his truth. Last week, Craig, our senior minister, talked about David and Bathsheba. And this story begins ominously. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war with their armies, David sent Joab in his place. David remained in Jerusalem. David was not where he was supposed to be, and he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And that led David into a lot of trouble. Almost using the Ten Commandments as a bucket list of things to do with all his free time. Coveting Bathsheba, his neighbor's wife, adultery, and murder. David repented, but the consequences were severe. So today we're going to look at another story from the Old Testament, but first I want to start with a personal story. In 1999, uh, Heather and I moved to Ukraine, and we spent a year learning Russian. And then in September of 2000, we moved to the city of Birjansk, where we spent the next 21 years of our lives. We had partnered with a Ukrainian church, and we were looking for ways to come alongside them in ministry. And one of the first things we did was a class called the Bible in English. We're trying to reach out to folks uh, in the community who wanted to improve their English and were also willing to read the Bible together. We had a group of 20 to 30 Ukrainians, some from the church, but most coming from the community. And one particular couple we became pretty close friends with. And to show their appreciation for us and for the class, they invited us over to dinner one evening and pre presented us with this gift. I'll put it up on the screen so you can see it. See, small. What do y'all think? This is Bogdan. Thoughts on it? If we're honest, what? It's ugly. <laughs> really thoughtful, but ugly. And if you want to get a closer look, um, you can later, but yeah, ugly. Are you wondering what it is? This has purpose. It's a wine decanter. If I take off the top of his staff, you can pour. But imagine trying to get that clean, you know, trying to get, you know, when stuff kind of gets up in the head of it. Never been used. Um, poorly designed, not very practical. Bogdan is um, a national, a Ukrainian national hero. He's a Cossack. And if you don't know what a Cossack is, it's kind of a Ukrainian cowboy. Uh, big mustaches, uh, very kind of like MC Hammer, blousy pants, horses and scimitars, that kind of thing. Uh, and Heather and I were really touched by the gesture. It's very thoughtful. We were appreciative, but God, man, it's ugly, isn't it? It's ugly. So what we, you know, when we got it, took it home, we we're like, what are we going to do with it? Um, Bogdan eventually found a home sitting right beside our television. Uh, within reach of our young daughters, Maya and Sasha. And Heather and I had a great idea. We're going to use Bogdan to teach Maya and Sasha the meaning of the word no. 
This was our plan. Um, Bogdan was off limits. No touching Bogdan ever. And if by chance, Maya or Sasha disobeyed, and Bogdan took a fall and broke, oops, no harm, no foul, <laughs> no one would be upset. Um, this actually kind of backfired on us because the girls uh, would often jump rope in our apartment, and twice Bogdan has been beheaded by a, a jump rope that, that got around his neck and pulled him to the ground. Um, the first time that happened, Maya came into the kitchen where Heather and I were standing in tears and said, you know, that she had broke Bogdan, and we're like, that's fine, actually, it's great. You know, you just, just pick him up, throw him in the trash. No, I love Bogdan. So our plan completely backfired. Now Bogdan is a family heirloom, and he, you know, when we were deciding what to bring home with us from Ukraine, Bogdan got in one of the boxes. So shows you how smart we were. But Maya, just kind of, you know, parents know this, just kind of the different personalities of our children. When we told Maya don't touch Bogdan, it was never an issue. Maya never touched Bogdan. Sasha was different. Sasha would walk over to Bogdan, and she'd look at me, and she'd look at Bogdan, and look at me, and I'd say, Sasha, don't do it. Don't touch Bogdan. Leave Bogdan alone. And she'd just look at Bogdan and look at me. And one day, Sasha looked at Bogdan and looked at me, and that little arm started reaching out, the little finger reaching out. And I was like, Sasha, don't do it. Don't touch Bogdan. Boom. Sasha touched Bogdan, and she turned and looked at me and said, okay, what now? What you got? What happens now? What are you going to do? Bring it. <laughs> Turns out I had nothing. I had not thought this far. There were no consequences. I didn't know what to do. And little baby Sasha had called our bluff. So the text that we're going to look at today is similar, but with one important difference, consequences. Heather and I were bluffing, but baby, and baby Sasha knew it. Today's text contains a warning from God, and the consequences for disobedience were real. So let's jump in. This is Genesis, starting uh, in verse 8 of chapter 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Those verses give us kind of the setting and background for today's story. God formed the earth and the heavens. He created the universe and everything in it, the birds of the air, fish of the sea, every creature that walks on land. He created all of it. And his final act of creation is man, us. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, that God created man and woman in his own image. What does that mean, in his own image? Does that mean that we look like him, he looks like us? God is spirit, so I don't think it's, you know, facial, you know, the way we look. It's our characteristics. It's our character, our attributes, that our character is a reflection of his character. God created man and placed him in the Garden of Eden with a responsibility to maintain it, to work it, to take care of it. 
God gave man purpose. It wasn't all laying in the grass, eating grapes all day. Adam was given one job, tend the garden. He was given one rule to follow. You can eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And remember that there were two special trees in the middle of the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Adam could eat of all the trees, including the tree of life, which would prolong his life. The only pro prohibition was not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Scott McKnight in his book, The Blue Parakeet, has this to say about the importance of understanding the first three chapters of Genesis. Nothing in the Bible makes sense if one does not begin with the Garden of Eden as a life of oneness. Human beings in union with God and in communion with self, with one another, and with the world around them. Without that understanding, nothing else in the Bible makes sense. This reminds me of the beginning of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Marley was dead to begin with. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. To understand Scrooge's story, and if you want to understand it, watch The Muppet Christmas Carol this year. It's great. But to understand Scrooge's story, you have to understand that Marley was dead, or none of it makes sense or seems wonderful. To really understand the Bible, we have to start with Genesis, with creation, and with Adam and Eve's life in the Garden of Eden. Often when we look at Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, the serpent, the apple, the fall, we look at the result and consequences as only affecting our relationship with God. But in reality, consequences, the consequences were much more far-reaching than just our relationship with God. Here's the new reality, as described by Scott McKnight. The oneness of love that Adam and Eve enjoyed is now completely cracked. Adam and Eve are now at odds with God, with self, with one another, and with the world. Oneness has become otherness. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So let's start with verse 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
Uh, here we get a glimpse of what life with God in the Garden of Eden looked like for Adam and Eve. This might even be a foretaste of heaven. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? Gives you chill bumps, goosebumps. The idea that Adam and Eve could walk with God in the garden, that intimacy that they enjoyed, I want to experience that. I want to walk with God in the cool of the day. Sounds incredible. But let's go back to verse 1. And as we read these verses, keep in mind Genesis 1.31, where it says that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God looked out on all that he had created and declared that all of it was good. That includes the serpent, one of the wild animals that God had created. And that also includes the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That started out good. God created it. It was good. But obviously, Satan spoke through the serpent. And he said to Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What was he doing? He was casting doubt. So what? Let me get this straight. God said you can't eat from any of these trees? None of them? Really? No apples? No oranges, no pears, no figs, no peaches, no plums. Satan wasn't interested in talking about peaches and plums. He had one tree in mind, and he very subtly put that tree in Eve's mind as well. Eve says, no, 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 you got that all wrong. We can eat from, from any of the trees except one. God only forbade us from eating from one specific tree in the middle of the garden, Oh, and, and we must not touch it, or we'll die. And a quick timeline tangent. God created Eve after telling Adam that he must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible doesn't tell us whether Eve received this same instruction from God himself or from her husband Adam. We don't know. But somewhere along the way, God's instruction was altered. Maybe Adam said to Eve, don't eat from that tree and don't even think about touching it. Same way I talked to Sasha. Or maybe Eve herself in the conversation with the serpent added the additional warning to not even touch it. Either way, there seems to be a disconnect, a strain from what God actually said. And Satan through the serpent seemed to muddy the waters even more and sow doubt and confusion in Eve's mind. Die? You won't die. Actually, we're always, we're always a little bit worried when somebody starts a sentence with actually, right? Actually, if you eat that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be more alive than ever before. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And folks, remember, Eve and Adam were already like God. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 tells us they were created in the image of God. And this is what Satan often does. Satan offers us or tempts us with things that God has already given to us or promised to us. Things that aren't his to give. Offering a distorted or warped version of what God is giving to us. Think for a moment about Jesus' third temptation. After being baptized by John and before he officially embarked on his ministry, Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan came to tempt him. 
First he said, I know you're hungry. Why deny yourself? Turn these stones into bread and eat. To which Jesus replied, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then Satan took Jesus to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem and said, show yourself, reveal yourself, prove that you're the son of God, jump. If you are who you say you are, the angels will catch you. Jesus replied, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And now the third temptation. Satan took Jesus to the highest mountain and showed him all the world and all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said to him, it's all yours. You can have it. I'll give it to you right now. All you have to do is bow down to me. And Jesus replied, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In that third temptation, Satan offered Jesus the whole world. But the whole world already belonged to Jesus. What Satan was actually offering was another path, another way, a shortcut, an alternative to trusting and obeying God. And that's what he does. He told Adam and Eve, you will be like God when they already were. He casted doubt on what they already knew to be true. And if you're wondering, this is what his voice sounds like. Is that really what God said? Yeah, but hold on. Is that, is that really what he meant? I mean, come on, what's the big deal? Who is this hurting? Doesn't God just want you to be happy? Why wait? That voice came from a serpent to Eve. It can come from friends or family. It can come from social media, books or TV shows or movies. It came from Peter to Jesus. And that voice can come from inside our own heads. The question is, how are we going to respond when we hear that voice? Are we going to glorify God and trust him or not? And so Eve took and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so did Adam. This is probably one of the most familiar stories in the Old Testament, and even if this is your first time actually reading it from the Bible, I'm pretty confident you've seen these events dramatized or spoofed or satirized. Uh, this week I watched two commercials, one for Red Bull and another for Doritos using the story of Adam and Eve to sell their products. So when I read this story, I picture it in my mind. You may have a picture of it as well. It might come from a flannel graph in childhood. But here's how I, I pictured it for a long time. Eve is alone. God is off somewhere, and Adam is off somewhere else. Eve is all by herself, and she's standing right next to the forbidden tree. Eve, what are you doing? Why are you standing right there? The serpent descends from that very same tree to tempt her. She eats the fruit, and then she goes and finds Adam and talks him into eating the fruit of the tree as well. But the way I just described the story doesn't really coincide with the biblical account. When Eve talks about the tree that they must not eat from, she basically says to the serpent in verse 3, we can eat from all the trees except that one. You know the one, the one in the middle of the garden. That one we can't eat from. doesn't seem to me that they're standing underneath the tree. And another thing, and I think much more important, Eve wasn't alone. Verse 6 tells us that Adam was right there with her. He didn't take part in the conversation, so we assume that he wasn't there. But the Bible says he was there. So why is this important? It's important because one of the narratives that has attached itself to this story based on the assumption that Eve 
was alone, if Adam, come on, if Adam, her husband, a man, had been there, this would have never happened, right? Things would have been different. It's Eve's fault. We live in a broken world, right? Women, bleh, am I right? Y'all know I'm joking, right? I'm looking out at, 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 at the, the ladies in the group, and I got a little scared. I got a little intimidated. <laughs> I'm joking. That's a bunch of misogynistic nonsense. Adam was right there with Eve in the same way that Paul was right there at the stoning of Stephen. He could have spoke up, but he didn't. He's culpable as well. You may be wondering why God put that tree in the garden in the first place. Why put it there? I believe that God placed it in the garden not to tempt Adam and Eve because James 1.13 tells us that God cannot be tempted by evil and that he doesn't tempt anyone. But God put it there to give them freedom, to give them choice. The choice to trust God, to listen to God, the freedom to love God or love themselves. The choice to believe and obey God. God placing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden was an act of love, giving man freedom of choice. But Adam and Eve listened to the serpent rather than God. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. The oneness that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God, with one another, with themselves and the world cracked in that moment. Innocence was lost and sin introduced shame. They covered themselves and hid from God. In Scott McKnight's words, oneness was replaced with otherness. God called out to Adam and Eve, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And here the blame game begins. Adam says, the woman that you gave me, you put her here. She gave me the fruit. So in one fell swoop, Adam takes out both Eve and God. And then Eve quickly responds, the serpent deceived me. Lots of finger pointing and deflection, but God is not deceived. The choice has been made, and now Adam and Eve must live with the consequences of their decision to listen to the serpent instead of trusting in what they knew to be true. And we'll pick up in verse 14 of chapter 3. These are the consequences. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife, and ate fruit from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toll, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So what were the consequences? Sin and a loss of righteousness, separation from God, intimacy with God was lost, oneness gave way to otherness. Now there's weirdness between Adam and Eve. They were naked and not ashamed, and now they're covered in both shame and searching for clothing. A cursed environment, working harder for a small return, fighting thorns and thistles. And finally, eviction and mortality. They could no longer remain in the Garden of Eden, nor eat from the tree of life. But even in the midst of God explaining to Adam and Eve the consequences of their actions, we find grace, mercy, and hope. By God's grace, God replaced their crude coverings with better ones, which would not only cover their shame, but also protect them from the elements. By God's mercy, he barred access to the tree of life so that man could not live forever in a sinful state separated from God. And God gave hope. Throughout the history of the church, God's words to the serpent have been seen as a foreshadowing of Christ's defeat of Satan. When all seemed lost, broken, and helpless, God was right there with Adam and Eve, setting in motion a plan of salvation to find what was lost, fix what was broken, and bring hope to the hopeless. God didn't abandon them, and he doesn't abandon us. So how do we fight this battle when we hear the voice of Satan casting doubt, saying, is that really what God wants? Is that what really what he said? Okay, but is that really what he meant? I mean, what's the big deal? Who is this hurting? Doesn't God just want you to be happy? Why wait? James 4, uh, verse 7 and 8, offer us some very practical advice. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Submit to God. When you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And then come near to God, and he will come near to you. In closing, I want to read a few words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 21, and 22. I'm using the message paraphrase. There's a nice symmetry in this. Death initially came by a man, and resurrection from death came by a man. Everybody dies in Adam. Everybody comes alive in Christ. If you haven't made a decision today, you have the opportunity to come alive in Christ. Amen.